but me, I'm st- I was stubborn when it come when it came to medical things. <laughs> just very mm-hmm. stubborn. And I just I, I went to the doctor and he says, Brad, get to the hospital right now. And I said, Doctor, come on, there's gotta be something else. I don't mm-hmm. need to go to the hospital and at the time I don't even think I had insurance and I just <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, I was like my. going, Oh my gosh, I can't afford this, I don't wanna do this and things weren't going well financially and well, he actually threatened me. He said, If I if you don't go now, I'm gonna treat this as if you're wanting to kill yourself and I'm gonna call the cops and you know, they will <laughs> they will admit you and I said Okay, I'll go. <laughs> so, so I went down to the hospital, and you know, after four hours of testing, I was like, "Okay." The doctor comes in. He says, "Brad, uh, there's something in your head there, and we don't know what it is." <laughs> oh my! Welcome to Stories of Hope in Hard Times, the show that explores how people endure and even thrive in difficult times all with God's help. I'm your host, Tamara K. Anderson. Join me on a journey to find inspiring stories of hope and wisdom learned in life's hardest moments. Today I'm interviewing someone who was born in Bakersfield, California and lived there until he was 13. Then he quickly moved to a very small town in Alabama and began working on a 4,000-acre soybean farm. After that, he moved to Utah and ended up supporting himself through most of high school. He met and married his wife, Charlotte, and they've been married for almost 32 years. They have six children and seven grandchildren. Professionally, he has gone from being a migrant worker to a trucker to the founder and president of Affinity Guidance Services. So quite a transition there. He has developed the Positive Self-Management Learning System, the Winning Mindset Series, the Ultimate Self-Worth Workshop Series, and several others. He has over 30 years of experience with assisting people in overcoming personal challenges and helping them succeed with their own personal goals. His passion is to help people discover their own self-worth, talents, value, and help create for themselves success in their lives. He's also served on several state and local boards to help others. I am pleased to introduce to you today, Brad J. Neufeld. Brad, are you ready to share your story of hope? Yes, I am, Tamara. Thank you so much for having me on. (laughs) We are so excited to have you here today. Thank you. And I was just thinking the last time I was interviewed, oh my gosh, it's been 20 years. (laughs) Well, it's about time. (laughs) (laughs) And thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So as I was reading your bio, the question that kept popping into my mind is how did you go from being basically (laughs) a migrant worker to... Mm being a professional mentor and mm-hmm. coach especially for at risk kids how how mm-hmm. did that happen i mean that's that's a huge <laughs> leap to take well obviously uh, i'm going to give god the credit for it he's definitely steered me uh, all all of my life and uh, growing up in uh, bakersfield california was kind of a, an interesting thing there my dad was working uh, down there as an accountant and going to school down there was a challenge at the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, I always 
when I think back and I, well, I look where I live now with, with in here in Utah and I drive down the streets and I see uh, kids bicycle sitting out front and their garages open and all this stuff. And I'm like, oh my gosh, all of that would be gone if you were in <laughs> California. I'd pull my bike up to the 7-Eleven and lay it down just to run in and grab a candy bar. I'd come out, the bike's gone. And mm. uh, there was a lot of drugs, a lot of gangs. Uh, at the time, there was only about 50,000 people there. And it was several different cultures of people were moving in and just kind of establishing uh their boundaries i don't know what i want to call it turf or, or whatever yeah. and i was just this happy-go-lucky kid but i would you'd just be walking down the street minding your own business next thing you know you're surrounded by five or six guys saying what did you call me and i'm like i didn't call you anything and mm. they beat you up and laugh while they're walking away and stuff so i got really good at running uh, <laughs> <laughs> And then, uh, you know, as, as time went on and I got to be 12, 13 years old, it was starting to get old. And so I was meaning running and everything. And I just thought, why, why doesn't other people get attacked all the time? Why is it just me? Am I just being singled out or something? And I realized, no, that a lot of these people were part of various gangs. And there's so many different levels of gangs. We don't have to get into that. But, uh, and I thought, well, maybe if I join one of these gangs, maybe I'll get some protection. Maybe I won't mm. have any of this. And I was actually talking to some some people, uh, some of my friends about joining one. Mm -hmm. And I didn't feel right about it. I didn't want to do it. I knew how dangerous they were and all that. But then one night, and this happened to be two weeks after my 13th birthday, mm -hmm. I was walking home late at night, about 1030 at night from my friend's house. And I pull up, when I say pull up, walked up to my house and I see this big yellow moving van parked out in front of my house. And I'm mm. like, what in the world? What is that? Mm. And I hurried up and run inside and my father's uh, just finishing up a meeting with my brothers and sisters, and, and I didn't catch the whole thing, but it, basically the gist of it was that we had, uh, he had said that he'd made some bad financial decisions and that we, uh, we had to move, and we had to move that night. And I, that night? Yeah, that night, and I still to this day don't know the whole story, but, um, but that's what we did, and we just packed up, and we jumped in the cars, and we left. <laughs> and, wow. and we went clear across the country to Alabama, where some friends of our family uh, lived, uh, Frank and Marlene Crabtree, who I adore. Um, mm -hmm. we, uh, we went down there and worked there for a little bit, but then um, partway through the summer, my, my dad and mom came to me and said, well, we, we need to go back out to California and kind of clean up our mess here. And mm -hmm. so... <laughs> Uh, let's uh, go ahead and pack up and let's go back to California. And I said, um, I don't think it'd be best if I go back because here I am in this new environment. And I don't know if you can even picture this. I think there was 14 graduating seniors in my school that I was in. Very tiny town, town of a thousand people. Mm -hmm. And everybody left their keys in their cars. Everybody I mean, left their windows and doors open 24-7. And I'm like, why do you guys leave your keys in your car? Somebody's going to steal it. And mm -hmm. Mr. Crabtree goes, well, my neighbor might need to borrow it when I'm gone. And I'm like, I know <laughs> I don't get this. <laughs> and, so, and so here I went from one extreme to the other. And I was like, oh, I kind of like the new one. Yeah. <laughs> And so uh, I just asked my parents, is there any way that I don't have to go back? And, and originally they had just talked about leaving me down there for a short period of time. But then after a week went by, uh, Frank and Marlene sat me down and says, Brad, um, looks like you're going to be here for a while. Uh, we're uh, we're going to be taking care of you for a little bit until your dad gets things uh, going there again. And I said, okay. They, let's go ahead and get you registered in school and whatnot. And they said, but we, all, we know you're only 13. However... 
you need to support yourself. Mm-hmm. And we had had a trailer that we were living in at the time, and they said, you've got to start making the payments on this, and you can work here on the farm at, you know, dollar eighty-five an hour. That was, yeah. Anyway, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I had to make the payments on the trailer and all that, and they said, you know, sorry, you're 13, but you got to step it up, buddy. And I'm like, oh. Okay, I guess I got to do that. And they mm-hmm. warned me, if you, you give us any trouble at all, you're gone. And so I had nowhere to turn. So I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And I love the farming anyway. So uh, so that's that was how I ended up in Alabama. Well, I ended up being down there for two and a half years. Wow. And so uh, some great experiences there. I could spend a whole show just on Alabama. (laughs) A lot of fun stuff there. The family, again, I was with was really wonderful. But Frank um, came to me again and said, Brad, I think it's time for you guys to get back together. Um, Your mom and dad are going to move to Utah, and they'd like you to join them there again. And I said, okay. So uh, I really don't want to, but I felt like it was the right thing to do. And so I moved out to uh, Utah, got, got here just before Christmas of 1979, and Six weeks of being here, or excuse me, six months of being here in Utah, my parents ended up going back to California, and so I was all here all by myself uh, again. Wow. Uh, learned a lot about teenagers. <laughs> they didn't yes. really want me as a friend. They wanted my apartment. You know, I learned that mm. the hard way. Uh, anyway, uh, so went on into uh, getting through high school, and after high school, I, I served a mission, uh, a service mission for my church, and and went over to Tokyo, Japan, and that was a lot of fun. And then I came back and started, uh, you know, got married and was working. And as you said, I was a blue-collar worker working as a truck driver. Um, I also worked in a warehouse and worked my way up to where uh, the company I was working with was selling frozen food to convenience stores. They asked me, would you like to get into sales? And I said, well, is there more money there? Well, yeah, you get a commission. <laughs> you're going to make a lot of money. And I, I said, okay. So I took the challenge on, and I did. I built it up to be a a really good uh, paying job and all that. And my wife and I were doing really well. We bought a house in West Jordan and we had uh, two kids and one on the way. And, and, but anyway, we were make how to, had a good life. And I thought I had the American dream by the, you know, uh, by the tail and, and here we go. Now you mentioned to me before that there was a point in your life where you were very discouraged and almost suicidal. Mm-hmm. Take me to that point and mm-hmm. kind of describe it to me and, Tell me how God got you through that. Okay. Well, this was back uh, when I was working at the frozen food place. Uh, I had been working there for a lot of years, and I'd worked my way up in the company, and uh, we had had over 70 salespeople, and I was was number two at all Mm. times. There was always a guy out of Cedar City that I could never beat. But anyway, (laughs) uh, (laughs) but I had built my territory to be one of the best in the company, and I was making a lot of money. You know, Mm -hmm. Uh, again, we had... We had a brand new house, two brand new cars. My wife was able to quit her job and stay at home. And I, like I say, I felt like I've arrived. Mm-hmm. But then one day the boss calls me in, and, and this was right after we had just had our uh, end-of-the-year sales party. And and I had just received my, my third sales merit award for being in the top ten in sales. And boss calls me in and says, Brad, we need to talk. And I'm thinking, all right, I'm going to get a raise. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh, honey, this is going to be so great. I go in there, and guess what he did? He cut my territory in half, <laughs> oh <laughs> which, my. again, cut my my money in half. And this was back in the uh, uh, late 80s. Actually, this was in the early 90s when this happened. Yeah, 1992. And I... I was uh, just devastated, and I begged and pleaded, please don't do this, please don't do this, because I didn't know where else I could make that kind of money, because at mm-hmm. the time I didn't have my degrees or anything, and so 
I was like, please don't do this. Please don't do this. And he said, well, I can make you a regional manager and that'll pay you a little bit more. And I said, well, I'll take it. But I was just steadily going downhill fast that things were, uh, I wasn't able to pay my bills and, and I just had to work out payments on everything. I'd had a car repossessed and, and I, we lost our home. And next thing I know, I'm, you know, in my, uh, in-laws, uh, whatever unfinished basement (laughs) looking up at the ceiling going what just happened here Mm -hmm. (laughs) how do you how did I go in nine months from having it having it all to now nothing and I'm like what now Mm -hmm. and it was like I couldn't get out of bed I would attempt new things and nothing would happen so I went from this thing of feeling like I was in total control of everything to in control of nothing Hmm. And I went to the doctor, and the doctor says, Brad, you're depressed. And I just went, that can't be me. No, I'm not depressed, doctor. I'm not. And he said, well, Brad, um, you're pretty bad. And I said, all right, what do I need to do? And he gave me some pills. I think it was Prozac at the time. And then I go home crying to my wife going, I have no control. I got to take a pill. You know, I was just, I was done. And, but after, uh, but my nature was no i'm going to conquer this mm-hmm. but it was like so many roller coasters i went to uh, two, a couple of different psychiatrists a couple of different psychologists and nothing i was doing was working they all they would do is uh, tweak my medications or try a new medication and i'd feel good for a little while and then it would my body would get used to that i'd try to quit it and i would just crash and finally i just came to a point and this is after about 2 years mm-hmm. of this i just prayed to god and i said i'm done i <laughs> I don't know what you expect of me. I, I asked for help and this is, you know, is the medicine the help? Is the, mm-hmm. you know, I just, I don't want to do this anymore. And I had actually made a plan uh, to, um, to check out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll just put it that way. I was making a plan to, to take my life and be done with it. And, and well, anyway, I just had this little small voice come to me <laughs> again saying, Brad, give it one more shot. Give it one more shot. And so I said, okay, what am I going to do? So I had made up my mind. I am going to study everything that I can get my hands on for six months. And if nothing changes, then I'm done. Uh, But, you know, if things change, then so be it. During that six months of studying and looking at everything I could possibly uh, do in different avenues and things like that, I discovered some pretty cool stuff. And it just really turned my life around. And I started to see things differently. I started to see how people... Are. And when I and then I realized that a lot of the depression that I was having was tied to people relations. Uh, I know I had abandonment issues at the time. Mm-hmm. I I still joke around and say that anytime I hire an employee that I that I really like, I sit them down and I say, "You do know I have abandonment issues, right? So please don't quit." <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I use that for fun. <laughs> but, but I realized I had all this stuff, and but I was able to overcome it and just really see again, what people's true needs are and take, and anyway, I just saw these people who had these desires, but just didn't know what to do with them and all this. It was just like this, my eyes of understanding were opened. And after that, I just made a commitment to start teaching these principles to other people. And guess what? They would have the same results I would. Mm. And I'm like, okay, I, again, thank you for letting me go through that father. I mean, at the time when I'm going through it, obviously I'm I don't want to be here. <laughs> yeah, but no. but now that I've been through a lot of these challenges, it's it, it's good to be able to look back and go. You know what? If I hadn't have gone through that, I wouldn't have this knowledge I have right now that I can help people with. And um, so, therefore, 
that's <laughs> there you go that's amazing yeah but well, that's that's what happened so here i am <laughs> what a journey so finish telling me really quick um the end of that story of how you ended up becoming interested in being a counselor and and how your life pivoted that way and if this was an easy thing to pivot on or a hard thing well then all of a sudden i got asked to go and volunteer at a place called the utah boys ranch right now it's westridge academy so there's a free plug there for westridge we work, <laughs> we work with them and so <laughs> Uh, Tell us at, what this was. It is a it, it is a residential treatment center. It's a full time stay for kids for troubled teens, okay. and so they would be pulled out of their homes and instead of going to uh, juvenile detention or to uh, you know, youth prison, they would go here and actually receive treatment. And so that's right. what it was all about. Well, I was just asked to go out there and, and volunteer and play football with the boys and and just just talk to them in the evenings, just have something to do. Well, I ended up enjoying it uh, quite a bit, to getting to know the boys, and then all of a sudden, uh, about six weeks into this, I had one of the therapists come to me and says, are you Brad Newfeld?" And I says, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they said, we want you to stop talking to these boys. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm like, well, isn't that why you have me here? And they said, well, you're screwing up their treatment plan. And I'm like, what the heck is a treatment plan? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the heck a treatment plan is. And so I I didn't think much of it. But then a couple of weeks later, I had another therapist come to me and say, "Uh, Brad, you have got to stop talking to these kids. I said, what am I saying? (laughs) They're asking me questions and I'm answering them. You know, they'd ask me stuff like, what would you do in this situation? Well, here's what I did, you know, when I was younger. And a lot of it had to do with teenager issues. They would even come to me and say, well, man, when I get home here, I am 15, but I've got a friend. I'm going to run away and I'm going to go. I said, no, don't do that. You're, Mm. you want, you know, your family's the only thing solid you're ever going to have in this life. Friends come and go. And I know this from experience, dude. And so don't do it. Go home, get right with your family, do everything you can to stay home and just general stuff like that. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, what am I saying? What am I saying that's so offensive and, and everything? And he just, they just said, well, the, uh, the therapist had said, well, my, this kid tells me that you're helping him more than I am and, <laughs> and you're not a licensed therapist. And I'm going, I'm, and trust me, I'm not knocking the treatment world at all. I, I work in the treatment world. So, <laughs> but, but this was the, this was the launch pad for me i had went home that very night and was just laying in bed going uh well maybe all this happened to me for a reason you ask how i got into this sorry for the long answer but i it felt like i needed to give you some dialogue to help (laughs) help you understand it and so after i realized uh, this is what i wanted to do because i found so much joy in it i decided all right i'm gonna go back to college and i i wanted to be a therapist at the time but then Mm -hmm. things changed but anyway that's how i got it started anyway very good so you went back to college mm-hmm. you figured out this is where you want to be yes and and you made it happen and and i'm sure that probably wasn't easy being that you already had a wife and a couple kids mm-hmm. um did you had to transition into that slowly did you keep working how did you do that i found out that you had to have a master's uh either in social work or in um uh, before you could become a licensed therapist and I looked at the starting rate of a, of a licensed therapist, and it was only $23,000 a year at the time. Mm. And I was already making forty eight to $50,000 a year selling frozen food. And so I'm like, well, I, 
<laughs> so I'm going to go get in all this debt only to start at half the salary. I, oh, great. You know, and so my mind just kept thinking, how in the world am I going to do this? I need to be able to make money and be able to do this. And if I have to make more money on one side to subsidize what I'm doing over here, then that's what I got to do. And so I had talked to my wife and we just made the determination that I was going to be a, 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 a clinician. And I, at first of all, I decided, you know what, let me set a goal here. I want to be a, a, a clinical psychologist. I pictured myself in a white coat at a hospital, you know, Dr. <laughs> Newfeld. And, <laughs> and so that was the path that I took. And so, but as I got into it a little bit, uh, things just were different to me. I mean, these, the kids nowadays were just so different. I was thinking back on my life thinking, man, when my dad spanked me or I got disciplined when I was younger, I stopped doing the thing that I was, was being punished for. But these kids today, oh my gosh, they're, they're resilient. They, they just say, you know what? I don't care what you do. I'm going to do this anyway. Mm. I'll figure out a way to do it. And they would, even, even if they would get um, uh, lots of consequences or whatnot, you'd take stuff away, they'd still do what they wanted to do. Mm. And I'm like, how do you work with this? And it didn't quite uh, fit with all of the diagnoses <laughs> that, I was, that I was studying at the time. And so I had heard a, a, a talk from one of my spiritual leaders, and, and he had talked about how the spirits that are coming into this world now have more determination than any generation in history. Mm. And because of God's plan and what's about to happen, they need that determination to get through. And I said, oh boy, that was a lot of validation for what I've been feeling. And right. I'm like, wow, okay, but still, what do you do with it? But he gave kind of an answer in a way. He said, don't beat it out of them. They need that to get through what's gonna happen. But what he did say is, if you take them by the hand, lead them, guide them, and show them the way, mm -hmm. they will follow. Interesting. And that just hit me like a ton of bricks. And I just set the psychology aside and I thought, what, you know, what does this mean? Mm -hmm. uh, I had nothing to go on other than that. And so I decided, well, I'm going to go out and I'm going to ask these kids. I'm just going to talk, talk to them openly. And I, would, I talked to well over a thousand teenagers, well, me and, a, and a, a team of people. And we just asked them one simple question. What do you want from adults? And what did they say? Oh, the answers were incredible. Again, once we got through all of the, I just want them to leave me alone. I just want to do what I want. <laughs> yeah, I just want them to give me money and stay out of my life. You know, after we got past all that, I said, no, 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 no. This is your chance. And they were getting things like they wanted to know they were loved. They wanted to know uh, that they uh, they wanted somebody they could look up to. They wanted somebody they could trust. They uh, wanted to be adventurous. They wanted, believe it or not, they wanted structure and um and consistency and i was like blown away by all that they wanted I validation bet. there were so many things and i put this into a model that i call the 10 uh, the 10 things that all youth really want and uh, i am writing a book on that by the way oh yay i <laughs> so can't be, wait for that to come out <laughs> that'll be coming out i wanted to write it 10 years ago but i had or 12 years ago but i had some health issues of which we can talk about later if you want yeah. to uh that kind of kept me from finishing the book but i'm kind of glad that happened uh, I've learned so much in the last 12 years to add to that book that needed to, that needs to be in there. Mm -hmm. Now, after I had heard these things from the kids, it made me look at things in a whole different perspective. One of the boards I sat on down in St. George, Utah, was Washington County uh, CAGE, C-A-G-E, which was an acronym for Community Awareness Gang Education. Mm -hmm. While I was giving a few speeches at various high schools down there, I, and I mentioned the gang thing, uh, a lady approached me afterwards and said, hey, we'd like you to sit on a task force. Uh, we're 
kind of concerned that all these gang members are moving into the St. George area and kind of setting up their uh, their territories and all this stuff, and mm-hmm. we don't know what to do. The police department doesn't know what to do. We've got well, this small, quiet community. What are we? What's going on? We think you could help us. Well, they kept asking me the question: Why do you want to join a gang? What's the attraction? Why do mm-hmm. kids? What's the pull? Mm-hmm. It's obviously dangerous. It's obviously all these bad things that could happen. Why do they want to join? And I was literally racking my brain, going, mm-hmm. "What in the world do I? Why did I want to join for protection? That was it. That was all mm-hmm. that kept coming to me." Well, I had already had this model put together of the ten things that all youth want, and it was sitting beside my computer. And I happened to look over late one night and looked at it, and I went, "Oh my gosh! All ten of those things are in a gang setting. All really? ten of them. So all they can either get it." In the home environment, mm-hmm. or they can get it from the gang environment. So when you hear the fact that we're uh, fighting for the hearts and minds of our kids, we truly are. Mm-hmm. And but again, I'm a parent. I have six kids. I've gone through very similar things that have all the other parents. You know what? What do they say? A prophet in his own country is not respected. I mean, that's just. <laughs> You're just dad to your kids, right? <laughs> right. So many people say, "Oh, your kids are so lucky they have you." Well, guess what? I've had to send my kids to counselors. <laughs> They don't want to listen to me either, but it's so funny how they come back to me later. Well, the counselor's just saying the same things you are. But well, if <laughs> if I had to spend the money for you to figure that out, then so be it. We're g- <laughs> oh, that's funny. So anyway, does that answer the question? Yes, I guess. Anyway. yes. So you ended up um, helping these at-risk youth, basically, mm-hmm. yes. and setting up a council and using your 10 steps to help Make this a successful program down in St. George, Utah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so tell me how you were doing at this time um, inside. Were, were you struggling at all? Were you excited with your success? Where were you? Well, at the time I was a, a public speaker. I had come up with the, 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 the Winning Mindset series. And so at the time I was, I was doing that and I was making really good money. I was making, uh, you know, I was speaking and making money and thinking, you know, again, American dreams here, living in a nice house close to a golf course, thinking I, we've, uh, you know, we've made it and all this stuff. But uh, people would pay money to come see me. And one of my greatest needs is I want to make a difference. Right. And so what was happening is I would do these workshops and I'd pump people up and they would feel all like, oh my gosh, Brad, thanks. Oh, I'm so pumped. I, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to rock the world. But then I'd call them six months later and nothing had changed. Hmm. And it, and Tamara, it was just eating me alive. And because so, some of them would say stuff like, I spent my last $500 coming to your workshop, just uh. looking for answers. And I was like, I can't do this. I, yeah. you know, I can't, you know, I just, yeah, I felt you know good that I was at least giving them some uh, good information. But I thought, if I'm not making a change with them, then what, uh, you know, anyway, I've got to think of something different. Well, at the, t- at the time, I was presented the opportunity to sit on the Western Region Youth Council with the Department of Workforce Services, and they were in the process of developing a program to increase the effectiveness of their programs uh, that they had. So they, 
They didn't want me to come in and be another therapeutic program. They said, we already have therapists. We're already working with Southwest Centers and a few other uh, places down here. So we want you to use our therapists. And we're like, great. Well, we uh, the mentoring works really good hand in hand with the with the therapy. And we showed them how. And so we got this five-year contract with the state and we had phenomenal results. I mean, awesome. we, uh, so we, what we would do is the, the therapist would come up with the treatment plan. And then we, as mentors would work really closely with them and help the kids actually, uh, do the things that they wanted them to do. So get results. So was so, this kind of, kind of the same thing that you were just talking about how you'd pump people up so mm -hmm. the therapist would pump people up and then you were actually helping them implement. yeah exactly you were the rubber that met the road yeah because again they'd walk out of the therapist's office going oh i feel so good right now but then they were like mm, now what how, how do <laughs> yeah. i do it how do i do this well they told me to go talk to my teacher but i don't know how to talk to my teacher well this is what you would say to your teacher or well are you going to go talk to him today well maybe then they wouldn't the next day and it's like well are you going to talk to him today i don't know i said well Come on, let's go. <laughs> so you just take them. Oh down yeah, we then. just take them right there. It was very, uh, very much interactive. Uh, we even went in their homes, uh, and that that was a, an interesting thing too. I mean, I don't know how much time we have, but I have a really cool story. Can I share it really yeah, quickly? Yeah, go okay. right ahead. I'd love yeah, to hear it. There was a um, uh, this one young girl who was 14 years old, and she seemed so ambitious, so. Uh, she had a lot of good ideas and a lot of big dreams and things like that. And we would work with her at the high school and she would never do any of the assignments we would give her. And we're like, what is going on here? Do you really, you, you sound so much like you want this to happen. Oh, I do, I do, I do. And so after about a couple of months of that, we're like, okay, when progress isn't being made, she's not again doing the steps that need to be done for the program. And so we might have to drop her and all that. And I just happened to be in their neighborhood and I thought, you know what, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop by and see him. Mm -hmm. So I stop, knock it, knock on the door, and she answers the door and just opens the door about two inches and looks out. And mm -hmm. she goes, Brad, what are you doing here? And I said, I just wanted to stop by and say hi and see how you're doing. Just then two little uh, young toddlers come running out in their diapers and, you know, and running mm -hmm. all over the, the porch. And she hurried up and uh, stepped outside and closed the door behind her. And it was right then that I knew, all right, <laughs> what's going on? Mm -hmm. <laughs> And I just told her, I says, you know what, let's tell me what's going on. Mm -hmm. I said, I'm not the police. I'm not here mm -hmm. to arrest anybody. What I want to help. What can I do? Well, then her mother comes to the door at that very time and starts talking to me. And I could tell she was intoxicated. She was, mm. she was wasted. And I said, hey, ma'am, can I come in for a minute? Oh, I don't know. And so I, I kind of said, well, come, let's talk for a minute, mm -hmm. okay? I go in there, and there's two full-grown men just passed out on the couches, and, mm -hmm. and I could tell they were doing stuff they shouldn't have been doing. Right, and, right. and I was just I, I was just going, no wonder. Mm -hmm. And on my way home after I left there, well, I had talked to the mom. I said, do you want things to change in your life? And she was crying. She says, yes. I said, well can we meet tomorrow? Go ahead and sober up. Let's, let's talk tomorrow kind of a thing. And, and, uh, anyway, I talked to the girl and we made a plan to get the mom into treatment and, and get her, uh, uh, you know, the help that she needed and get her, uh, she had really bad self-confidence issues. Obviously she mm -hmm. was just taking in whoever she could, to, uh, you know, so she wasn't feeling lonely or whatever, but mm -hmm. we, it turned out to be a really awesome positive experience uh, the mom just really turned her life around and this girl was able to do some great things but that got me wondering how many other families are going through the same mm -hmm. thing mm -hmm. and so that's when we started an in-home portion uh, of the program 
and so that way we could see actually what's going on and it, it really worked good in tandem because we could see everything not that we were spies or anything and again no. we, we were there with no judgment none whatsoever yeah. we're here to help that's it and we're not here to tell you what to do you're you're a grown adult you can you have the right to raise your kids the way that you want to but we need to understand how you want to raise them so that we can help support you with your kids so mm-hmm. it, it ended up being a very successful model but we had worked with close to 1600 kids and had about a 93% success rate getting kids through high school and onto a, either a career or into post-secondary education. Fantastic. It was just a phenomenal program. And so, um, anyway, that's... <laughs> there you go. So, um, I know you've told me before that as successful as this program was, um, it didn't end up sticking around, unfortunately. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how did that affect you? Oh, it affected me pretty, pretty hard because uh, things were going really well. And it just felt like this is it because I had been working so many years to build this vision that I had had of, of genuinely helping people and, and making the difference is what I was, which is my, at my core, my core value. And it just felt like it was just ripped out from under me. Um, and I was just like, okay, now what? Right. Next thing I know, we're moving up uh, from Hurricane, uh, St. George area, up to the Twilla area uh, to start something else. And I'm like, you know, now what? Well, we had ran into a gentleman who owned some property and had some money, and we were going to start a, an inpatient facility ourselves so that I could still stay in the youth business. But then after uh, working on that for a year and getting all the engineering done and getting the plan and getting the place ready to break ground, the owner of the property has a heart attack, oh, no. <laughs> goes into the hospital, and we didn't think he was going to live. Um, but eight weeks later, he comes home and he says, Brad, I just don't have the energy to finish this off. I'm, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to do. What can I help you? Help you make the transition here. And I'm like, oh, boy. So you've kind of hit rock bottom mm-hmm. again. <laughs> yep. And this was in 2005 and after the contract had ended. And I'm like, now what? Well, it just kept resonating in my mind. We had discovered some really um, effective techniques, and I just can't let this go. There's got to be a way to recreate this, but the downside was is we didn't have the funding to do it. And so that's when Affinity Guidance Services was born. But anyway, we were able to recreate the majority of the program, but still the funding was always a challenge, but we've been able to figure out ways here and there to... To, to keep it going and so that's what happened so yeah rock bottom not knowing where I'm going to turn and I I think I don't know anything else to do through God's help I was able to get that um, get it re-cranked up and get it going again Brad so you've worked a lot with teens yes. that are at risk you know what they want because mm-hmm. you did that survey yes for parents out that there that have teens who are struggling what little bits of advice would you give Yes, as a parent, you want two things for your kids. And I find this consistent no matter what culture I'm working with, no matter what level of parents I'm working with, they want two things for their kids. They want them to be safe and they want them to be happy. Mm -hmm. And in many cases, they want more for them than what they had. And so a parent's drive is to provide that. And again, common, I'm a parent, I've been through this. I think I know better for your life than you do. And the moment you can go, you know what, maybe they know better for their life, especially when they start to mature and stuff like that. No, they're not going to have the habits and skills and things that you've learned. But you also have to understand is they don't have the experience either. Mm -hmm. And so they need to get the experience. If they say, I want to be a a doctor, let them support them in being a doctor. Guess what? 
they're not going to, uh, if they don't want to do it, they'll find out really quickly that's not the life for them. Right. But if you try to uh, uh, stand in their way and not let them do that, you're going to get nothing but friction. Hmm. Does that make sense? Because mm-hmm. like I'll be working with a kid and the parent will say to me, oh, my, my kid just wants to be a rap artist. That's all he thinks about. He wants to be a rapper. Let him be a rapper. No, I don't want him to be a rapper. There's a, <laughs> trust me, he'll figure it out. And so I'll go in there, and as I'm coaching the kid, I'll say, let me show you what it takes to be a, a rapper. That I know exactly what you got to do. Here's how much you got to practice. Here's how much you got to get out there and do free. Uh, uh, you're going to have to work for free for two or three years, getting your message out there, getting recordings mm-hmm. done, all this stuff. Uh, you're probably going to have to work a part-time job and earn money so you can burn that CD and all this mm-hmm. stuff. And it's amazing two weeks, two months, whatever it is, whatever time it takes, after they go through that, they go, I don't want to do that. And then, <laughs> and then they'll come back and say, you know what? I'm really interested in science. I think I want to be a whatever. And the parents just go, what just happened here? But see, get rid of the fight. <laughs> mm. uh, you know, that's the big thing there. Ask them what they want. Now, yes, you're going to run across things. Well, you know, I want to, I want to grow marijuana on the moon. You ask me why. I, there, I've, I've heard it all, guys. I've heard it all. <laughs> There's nothing that would surprise me. Uh, so that's the main, uh, that's the biggest thing, Tamara. Number one is work on your rapport with them. Just get to know them. Stop, uh, you know, take a step back. Stop trying to force them to do uh, specific things and just get to know them. Even if they're behind in their schooling and stuff, that's very important that you just don't worry about that for right now. Just reestablish that rapport. Find out what they want. And help um, them with and, it. And help them with that. Okay. Uh, again, if you need, um, if anybody needs advice on that, I, you know, I have a, you can get a hold of me free and I, you know, I can tell you the experiences and stuff I've had. I'll give you some information later. So building a rapport with your kids is a really important thing to do in helping them pursue their dreams. Um, and what if you're still struggling with your teen? What is the most important thing to do then? Number one, ask for help. That's the biggest thing. Uh, again, a lot of times we think that, um, well, this is what we find out after the fact, of course. Parents, uh, their kids, they, they look at it that their kids are a reflection of them. And, I, and again, I understand that. And so they think, well, I, I don't want anybody knowing what's going on in my household. I don't want anybody in my business and all that stuff. Again, totally human, human trait. That's perfectly fine. But in these cases, you're dealing with something. You're dealing with God's most complex creatures, and they have free will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so it's not something – it's okay to ask for advice because you're dealing with, I'll just call it an entity – that has passions, desires, they want something, and these things that they want are probably different than what you want for them. Uh, but that's the biggest thing. But ask for help. If your child needs to go to a hospital or something like that, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't worry about what other people are thinking and all that. And there's nothing wrong with, with asking for that help. And here's, here's the thing about this, too. I mentioned earlier in the interview, I've had to send my kids to counselors. Uh, that statement that I made about a prophet being un- <laughs> unpopular in his own yes. country is is true. There's a magic to that third party. And even though everything that we teach at our program is the exact same thing that you're teaching, mm-hmm. they need to hear that from a third party. Because right they? now, all they're hearing it from is you. You're the enemy because my friends are saying something different. But if they hear it enough times from different people, then all of a sudden it's, oh, this is this it. Is starts it. to click. Mm-hmm. Very good. Yeah, and so that's the biggest thing. And and also, last thing here, uh, as far as parenting skills and things like that, I gave up a long time ago looking for specific techniques that work. Uh, Why that is is because every kid is different. 
it's okay to have a structure in your home. As a matter of fact, our my uh, the parenting model that I uh, that we teach we call it parenting with flexible consistency. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll keep you up at night. <laughs> but it's that way for a, a reason. There is a way that you can have the, a set structure, but yet have the flexibility within to deal with the different personalities. And so uh, establish that and be consistent. Consistency is the key. Do what you say you're going to do. There's too many parents out there. I like to use this for an example. My wife used to say this all the time, you know, when she'd get really mad. I'm going to rip your leg off and I'm going to beat you with it. And I'm like, <laughs> honey, stop saying that. Because <laughs> there's no way you're going to follow through on that. But uh-huh. you have to follow through on what you say. So therefore, take the time to decide what the consequence is going to be prior to talking to your kid about it. You have to follow through on what you say. If you don't, that's where you lose trust with your kids. They know you're not going to follow through, so why do you go, I even bother? But if they know you're serious, then uh, consistency is the key. Very good. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Well, let's take a short break, and when we come back, will you tell us a little bit more about some of those health challenges oh, and absolutely. what you learned okay. from those? Absolutely. How many of you out there feel like your life is chaotic, crazy, and completely awful compared to the norm. What if I were to tell you that you are normal for you? I am so excited to announce that my book, Normal For Me by Tamara K. Anderson, will be released April of 2019 to celebrate Autism Awareness Month. This book took me 10 years to write and I share 20 years worth of lessons learned in my life detours, including being in a car accident and having two of my children diagnosed on the autism spectrum. In this book, I share the secrets of how I made it from despair to peace with God's help. I invite you to check out my website, TamaraKAnderson.com, and sign up for my twice a month newsletter. Doing this was gonna give you the inside scoop and how you can get a free electronic copy of my book during the month of April. So sign up today and hope on. And we're back. This is Tamara K. Anderson interviewing Brad J. Newfield. And we were going to talk a little bit about some of the health challenges that you have struggled with and uh, what those have taught you. Yeah. So why don't you jump right in and tell us about that? Well, it was kind of an interesting thing at the time when uh, my health issues started to, to hit. I, I really have lived a very healthy life. Uh, I like, never get sick. I always had uh, a lot of drive to, to do things and to accomplish things. And then uh, this was, I'm trying to think of what year it was. It was back in about 2008. I started having these headaches in the in the spring, and they were really bad. I just felt all this pressure up behind my my left eye, and I'd go to the doctor, and they'd just say, "Well, Brad, you're you're stressed. You're going through a lot of you know harsh hard things right now." And I says, "Well, yeah," but they would prescribe me muscle relaxers or whatever to help me yeah. with this, and so. But then the headaches just kept being there, and I kept going in, and they'd say, "Well, Brad, that's all we can narrow it down to is you're just stressed out." Well, then. Um, I made it through the summer and just tried to relax, tried to, uh, you know, take some time for myself and whatnot. But then in the fall, things started to um, get a little worse, and I, I went in, but then I just kept working, kept working, kept working. And I went to the doctor, and again, same old, same old, and I said, something's got to be wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely has got to be wrong. And he said, well, let me, let's just do this. Uh, I just think you have a really bad migraine, but 
I'm going to give you a shot of something that's going to make you sleep all weekend long. I have no idea what it was. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I'm assuming Demerol. But anyway, <laughs> um, he just said, I'm going to give you a shot. And this was on Friday. And he says, if you still have this headache on Monday, come back in and see me. Mm-hmm. And I went to the doctor, got the shot. My wife drove me home. I slept for four hours. And I woke up. And it was just like my head was. And I was like. And my wife says, just clear your uh, slate for the weekend. Uh, mm-hmm. You're staying home all weekend. You're going to sleep. And so I did. I stayed in bed. But Monday morning, it was like, no. Still a lot still of pain. There. But me, I'm st- I was stubborn when it, com- when it came to medical things. <laughs> just very mm-hmm. stubborn. And I just, I, I went to the doctor and he says, Brad, get to the hospital right now. And I said, doctor, come on. There's got to be something else. I don't mm-hmm. need to go to the hospital. And at the time, I don't even think I had insurance. And I just, <laughs> oh, I was like my. going, oh, my gosh, I can't afford this. I don't want to do this. And things weren't going well financially. And well, he actually threatened me. He said, if I if you don't go now, I'm going to treat this as if you're wanting to kill yourself. And I'm going to call the cops. And you're, they will <laughs> they will admit you. And I said, okay, I'll go. <laughs> so, so I went down to the hospital. And, you know, after four hours of testing, I was like, Okay, the doctor comes in. He says, Brad, uh, there's something in your head there, and we don't know what it is. Oh, my goodness gracious. (laughs) Even then, I wasn't too scared or anything. I was just like, oh, let's just see what happens. But he just said, Brad, we've got to get you up to University of Utah Hospital. He says, we don't have the equipment to do this, but they're going to have to do something. There's something in there. We don't know what it is. And so I said, all right, well, um, when do I go? Monday, you know, do I go up? Tomorrow, do I go? And he goes, no, you go down there right now. Matter of fact, we've already ordered a, an ambulance for you. And an I said, ambulance? And I said, no, I'm not going to take an ambulance if I'm, you know, <laughs> unless you need to strap me to a bed or something. I'd really rather not do that. And they said, well, you guys go and you go now. Mm. And on the way, I just said, let's stop home. We're probably going to keep me overnight for some observation or something. Let's go get some clothes. Let's... Mm-hmm. And I wasn't too nervous. And then we go up to uh, the University of Utah Hospital, went into the emergency room, and there was like 150 people in the emergency. I mean, it was just packed. And if you've ever been to an emergency room, you know, the waiting and all that stuff. And I just thought, we're going to be here all dang night. You know, I Mm -hmm. just want to get checked out. I want to go home. No sooner than my butt hit the chair, they said, Brad Newfeld, please come to the front desk. Mm. They checked me in immediately, and I just went, that's when I got scared. Something, mm. Something's not right. Right. So I went in, and the doctors were like, well, we're going to have to drill some holes in your head. And I'm like, going, what, what is happening to me here? And, and they said, we, we got to figure out what it is in there, Brad. We're seeing it on the CT scan and all this, but we just we don't know what it is. And said it could be an abscess, which is an infection. And I said, okay. And so they prepped me uh, for surgery and all that whatnot. And, well, after four hours of surgery and uh, after I came out and I was looking around the room and – my eyesight was gone. I mean, all I saw was just this big old blur. And I was really? like, doctors, what's going on? Where are I mean, I was just scared. Um, I, I asked them what happened, and they said, well, we ended up having to cut a piece of your skull out to get, uh, there was an infection up there. There was a strep virus, and it was growing, and it was actually pushing my brain forward. Oh, wow. And so... And so that's, that's the pressure was there. And I was like, okay, but I don't, I can't see... I said, am I going to get that back? And they were silent. And I was like, doctor, please tell me, yes or no, am I going to get my sight back? And they said, Brad, we, 
We don't know. <laughs> oh my. We God. don't know. And I was like, <laughs> I was crying again. You know, just <laughs> what am I doing wrong here? Why? Why am I going through this? Why does this have to happen to me? And the only thing that could come to my mind was God is in charge. <laughs> And I just had to repeat that over and over and over again. That was the only thing that was bringing me comfort. God's in charge. Let me just, because I had wow. just gotten to the point where I was building my business back up. And it was mm-hmm. like, what, another <laughs> another blow? <laughs> you know, here we go. And so um, after after the surgery, I was in there for the, for the rest of the week. And my eyesight had gotten back to at least a... Uh, I don't even know how, how to put it. Everything was still blurry, but I could at least tell who was standing in front of me. Uh, well, if I knew the person, I, knew, I would know right, who it was. Right. And so they sent me home from the hospital. And then about, uh, I had to get injections twice a day. I had to go into the hospital twice a day to get these in, uh, injections of uh, antibiotics because the infection was all over the place. It was all the up strep in the yeah, strep. It was everywhere in my body. Oh. Well, after being home for about two weeks, all of a sudden, I got this really, really bad headache, and my back of my neck got really tense, and I just started throwing up, and Uh-oh. and I was like, I was in so much pain. We ended up having to call the uh, the EMTs in, and and they did take me by ambulance back to my hospital there in Twilla, and I get there, and they're just trying to get me out of pain, and I remember feeling the pain so bad that I was asking them to kill me because I was done. I, I nothing would knock me out. Nothing. I mean, it was so intense, and. I guess they finally gave me some morphine, and they're like, are you in pain still? Yes, but I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> so so the, beauty, the beauty of modern medicine. <laughs> so, but they, they rushed me by ambulance back up to the University of Utah, and uh, come to find out I developed uh, spinal meningitis because <sighs> the um, infection had broke loose in my brain and went down into my spine, and that was so painful. I, I couldn't move my head at all if I did. It just and again, no no painkillers would help at all. It was just I just had to sit there with my head in one spot. If I moved to the left, even just a quarter of an inch, it just put this shock down there. But but anyway, after being in there and having five IVs running in me 24/7 and all these liquids pump, uh, pumping through me, uh, you know, every day there was progress. I was able to move my head right and left without pain, and then. Uh, but not forward and backward. And then the next day it was a little bit better. And the next day it was a little bit better. And then finally it all went down into my lower back. And after seven days of that, I was able to uh, get off all of the medications and everything. But that's when they told me all the, the dangerous stuff that could have happened and should have happened. And they said, Brad, you shouldn't be here. Mm. <laughs> I just went, well, thank you. So. so let me ask you, um, when you lost your sight and all mm-hmm. of that, that to me seems like it would have been pretty discouraging. Mm-hmm. And also, spinal meningitis, so much pain. Mm-hmm. How were you able to get through those mm-hmm. tough times? Mm-hmm. Um, were there lessons you learned about God and mm-hmm. your relationship with Him? What? Absolutely. Uh, little things, little promptings. I, I, I would learn to ask different questions Tell me about to that. God. I would, and, uh, I would still uh, hang on to my mantra, you know, God is, God is in charge. Mm-hmm. But I would ask God, what, what can I do right now to alleviate this pain that I'm having? And I would literally get little promptings, shift your left hip. Really? And I'd shift my left hip and I'd feel a release and I'd be like, oh my gosh. 
<sighs> and then that would be good for a couple of hours. And then I, it would start to pain, be painful again. And I'd start moving around. I'm going, Brad, it worked once. Try it again. Uh-huh. You know, Father in heaven, what can, I, what can I do right now to relieve this pain? Is there anything I can do? And there was a couple of times that it said, nope, you're just going to have to endure, but I'll help you through it. And I, I would feel that, just uh, those warm arms around me that, nope, everything's going to be okay. Uh, but it was amazing, just little little things like that. And it just told me, God will help us with anything, no matter how ridiculously small it is, if we'll just humble ourselves and ask, you know. Wow, that is, and, that is powerful. And that was just, uh, anyway, just what a... The other thing, too, was I, again, my business had been going, uh, just taking off. Uh, this was, uh, like I told you, I just got it started in 2006, and I didn't have any money to start the business with, so I just started off doing individual sessions and whatnot. When the time came for me to you know, really launch the business and looking at hiring some other people, that's when I went in with my head surgery, and I just realized I can't do anything now. And so I said, Father, I don't know how I'm going to provide for my family. I, you know, I can't see. I don't know where else to go here. And I, I just got this warm feeling of, Brad, I'm right here. <laughs> you know, I'm just, mm-hmm. I'm right here. Everything's going to be okay. And it was so intense, um, Tamara, to see that more actually got done for my business through other people, obviously, with me laying there on my back <laughs> wow. than me um, working my tail off all day, you know, and so... Again, just a lot of little things. People would call me up, Brad, you know, what can I do to support you? What do you need? Are you, do you still have clients? Yes. Can I go see them? Can I talk to them? What can I do? And I was just like, you know, other therapists I was working with. And I'm just like, has this happened? And they just, they would give me encouragement. Brad, when things get better, we're right here for you. We're going to help you launch this thing. And I was just like, take a deep breath, Brad. Everything's going to be okay. It's in his time, not mine. So. Wow. Anyway. So you really felt that God... Blessed you not only with the comfort through mm-hmm. him, but through other people as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Earthly angels. Absolutely. And that, that's another big thing that I heard, that I learned too through this whole process, because I would always pray to God, you know, give me money, give me money, give me money. And I'd be like, no, ask for the things that you need. And I would ask for the things that I need. And then um, God works through other people. There was one time when my wife and I, again, things weren't going really well. It was just before uh, uh, Christmas when we were down in Hurricane. And I knew I had some money coming in about three weeks from a, a, a loan that I had closed just randomly. But we had nothing. We had no no gas in the car, no food in the pantry. And, and I just thought, what in the world? And I, I just had a prompting come to me, tell God what you need. And I said... Uh, you know, Father, I need enough money to get me through the next three weeks until I get this other money. And I asked my wife to make a list. How much money do we need? And she said, I think with a hundred bucks, I think we can get, we can get through this. And five minutes later, we get a knock on our door (laughs) and it happened to be, sorry, my wife's best friend. And she said, I have a prompting. I'm supposed to bring this to you. Um, my husband had just got a raise, and, and she says, don't you dare turn it down. You take it, and we're leaving. She opens the envelope, and it was 100 bucks. Wow. Yeah. What a sweet story. So you learned the power of praying specifically. Specifically for your needs. You know, money's needs. so general. God doesn't care about money. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. he doesn't need that. It's about the things that we need for our well-being. So. Yeah. Oh, what a sweet, sweet story. 
There is something to the power of prayer. You know, um, I've, I've seen it in my life and um, learning to ask the right questions you mentioned before. Mm-hmm. And specific specifics are important as well. Yeah. Um, and I, I've, I've seen that power in my life, especially with my kiddos on the autism spectrum. There were nights that I remember one night in particular where our son Nathan wouldn't he was awake at two in the morning and would not go back to sleep and wow. was inconsolably screaming and nothing, nothing, nothing we could do would make him stop. And my husband and I tag teamed it in and out of that bedroom for the next several hours. Mm-hmm. And I remember finally, I, I mean, you deal with something like that for several hours and you're just worn out. I mean, oh, A, absolutely. you didn't get much sleep, but mm-hmm. but just listening to the screaming for that long was just so, so hard. and. And I finally just told God, I said, I don't know what else to pray for. Yeah. I prayed for everything I can think of, mm-hmm. and I don't know what to pray for. And, yeah. and all of a sudden, the thought came, pray for angels. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There and, you go. And so I began, <laughs> like, who do I know that's dead? Yeah. <laughs> that <laughs> but would I be did. sympathetic towards my cause. I started praying <laughs> that my grandma and grandpa and my husband's grandparents would all mm-hmm. come and mm-hmm. help out because I didn't know what else to pray for. And I'll be darned if the sweetest feeling didn't come into that room. Mm-hmm. And he started calming down. Wow. And so sometimes when we don't know what to pray for, mm-hmm. telling God, I don't know. I don't know what to pray for. Yeah, be honest with him. <laughs> Tell him. <laughs> I've prayed for everything I can yep. think of. Mm-hmm. But listening to those little whisperings when we're struggling and in so much pain where we don't know what else to do or we're just so discouraged mm-hmm. um, because God really is there. Yeah. Yes, he is. And this was, um, to add to what was going on, this was around the same time that I was I went through all that with uh, when I was making all the money and stuff like that. I, I had a little bit of um, ungrateful attitude uh, in, in such a way that I didn't have much empathy or sympathy for people who weren't doing well or of minimal means. And I know that people who know me now go, how could you ever feel that way? I mm-hmm. just, cause I would, I would do whatever it took. If I had to work 70, 80 hours a week, doggone it, I'd do it. And I would go without sleep and I would <laughs> mm-hmm. bust my tail to, to provide for my family and everything. When my income was cut in half and I lost everything and I started to go, uh, you know, why can't I make this money that I've been accustomed to making? And I was getting really good at putting on a face, putting on, you know, nothing's mm-hmm. wrong with in the Newfeld family and, mm-hmm. and all of this. And, and at this particular time, again, just before Christmas, uh, we were three months behind on our rent. My car had just blown up. The only car we had, the head gasket blew. And so it's sitting out in the, in the driveway. Um, and I, you know, went to church on Sunday and just happy-go-lucky Brad. Don't, you know, nothing's wrong. Everything's fine. How you doing, Brad? Oh, I'm doing great. All of a sudden, our, our bishop calls us in, calls me in, and he says, uh, Brother Newfeld, uh, there's something we need to talk about. And I said, okay, what would you like me to do, bishop? And he says, no, there's something you need to tell me, and we're not leaving this room until you do. Mm. Bishop, there's nothing wrong. I'm, I'm mm. fine. Everything's good. You know, we're, Whatever little challenges we have, we'll, we'll fix it. We'll work it out. And, 
And he just said, Brother Newfeld, <laughs> we're not leaving this room. <laughs> By then, I just knew I was done. I, I, I knew he's not going <laughs> to let me go here. And so I thought, okay. And so I, I just lost it again, just started crying. Bishop, I don't know what to do. And he said, well, uh, let me ask you a question, Brad. He says, when you think of pride, what do you think of? I said, well, I think of somebody who's arrogant, who's got their nose up in the air while looking down on me at the same time. And he mm-hmm. goes, no, you got it all wrong. Pride is when you need help and you won't ask for it. Mm. <laughs> and that was a turning point in my life there. you know. And I, I always do everything I can to, to do it. But sometimes, guess what? You know, our our uh, the amount of effort that we're able to and capable of putting in may not be sufficient to produce the thing that we need. And that's when other people will come in. But have the have the humility to accept the gift no matter where it comes from. Because I know that's another human trait, too. We do want to do it all ourselves. We don't want to be beholden to nobody. And, mm-hmm. and when somebody does something for us, we have this tendency to feel like, well, now i got to pay them back. No, you don't. God answers your prayers through other people. Mm-hmm. When those things come to you, simply take it, no matter if it's a compliment, no matter if it's something physical, take it and say thank you. And then when you get the opportunity, get on your knees and thank Father in Heaven for it, because he's the one that brought it to you. And I very much learned that over the years. So don't question it. Wherever it comes from, let it happen. (laughs) (laughs) What a beautiful lesson to learn. Mm -hmm. And and sometimes we these lessons are hard to learn because we learn them in the most trying times of our lives. And trust me, I punched a lot of pillows. I mean, don't, don't think that this just, (laughs) it sounds so calming, but oh no, I, (laughs) you know, I just, all right, I know you're right, God, but I don't want it. (laughs) (laughs) We're a little bit stubborn sometimes, aren't we? Yes. Well, and especially when life doesn't seem to be going the way we thought it was going to go. Exactly. You know, and that's the key word there. We thought it was going to be this way, but he has a better way. <laughs> yes, and it, it is learning to trust that better way. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that you also learned to ask the question, "What can I learn from this?" Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> tell me about tell me about that story. Well, I again years of experience um, of fighting with God, wondering why He was punishing me, and <laughs> why don't I feel like I'm doing everything that you're asking me to do, and nothing's working out? Why are you doing this to me? Well, then I had heard a, uh, I I can't remember the motivational speaker's name, but uh, anyway, I went to a lot of motivational workshops just to learn uh, little principles here that would fit with my personality and stuff. And so this particular gentleman had said that life teaches us lessons and the lessons are going to get harder and harder until until we learn the lesson that the universe has in store for us. Mm. Well, I choose to call that higher power that he called the universe. I choose to call that God. So I just put that in there. Okay, he's trying to teach me something. And the speaker also went on to say that once we learn that lesson, that trial disappears. And I thought, I'm going to test this. (laughs) (laughs) So I already understood my, I already had my philosophy on asking specific questions and things. So I thought, what's a good question that I could ask my father in heaven to get specific answers, and that's what I came up with. And and so the question that just rang in my mind was, okay, Father in Heaven is definitely trying to teach me something here. The quicker I learn the lesson, the better. So instead of uh, getting angry, I see the issue, I see the challenge that's in front of me, the wall, whatever it is, stop and say, okay, what would you like me to learn from this? What can I learn from this? And I 
try to learn it as quick as I can. And so it, it uh, definitely brings me more peace of mind because now I'm focused on the journey versus on, again, the issue. So that is that's where that came so from. So smart. So you learn to change those questions of why does God hate me? Yep. And, <laughs> and he keeps giving me all these challenges and my life keeps changing. It's not turning out the way I want mm-hmm. to what can I learn from this? Correct. Yep. That's and, awesome. And again, you got to listen to your promptings though. I, oh, I yeah. always have to make that because we do get promptings. Think about it. Every human, anybody that's listening to us, you get promptings all day long, but what do we have a tendency to do? No, I don't want to do that. No, I don't want to do that. You got to do what you're prompted. So when you, <laughs> you get a prompting, do you, do you think it's just like a little thought that pops into your head? Is that how you would best describe a prompting? Yes. And I'll get just a thought, random thought will come in my head. And I didn't, I still to this day, do I do it right away? There's always a pause unless, of course, you know, life's on the line or something. Yeah, I'm going to jump in. But I, there's always a pause and go, okay, did that come from me, from some random thought I was thinking, or is, is this a prompting? And I'll just go through it. Is this something I need right now? Is it something that if I do this thing that I'm being prompted, will it make a difference in my life? And if I get a warm feeling on that and my gut tells me, you know what, this is, this is mm-hmm. then I'll say, okay, uh, Father, I've been given this prompting. Is this something I should do? And mm-hmm. sure enough, I'll get that warm feeling and I do it. Very good. And no, so, that's but I, it, but no matter what comes to my head, that's what that's my process now. But that's after years and years and years of fighting it. Why would you want me to go talk to Jim down the street? I, I have nothing to do with Jim down. The street. <laughs> go talk to Jim down the street, and then you get down to Jim down the street, and he's not home. And then you go, well, see, I was probably <laughs> no. Go talk to Jim. Then you go to Jim, and Jim says, uh, you know, I don't, you know, I don't even know why you're here. I, why do you want to talk to me? I'm like, I don't know, Jim. I just had a feeling I'd come and talk to you. And then you don't you, you walk away from the situation going, well, that stunk. I didn't, why did I even want it? Maybe I even made things worse. But then two weeks later, Jim calls, Brad, I got something I could really use your help with. And I'm going, okay, what is it? But would he have called me if I had not taken that initial, mm. that initial um, prompting to go down and make that connection? No, he wouldn't have. Yeah. So... Isn't that interesting? And so sometimes the promptings will come to go and impact the lives of others. Absolutely. And so if you're doing it for good, mm-hmm. to to follow those promptings and mm-hmm. talk to talk talk it through with God. I yeah, like absolutely. I like how you had that conversation with God in your <laughs> yeah. in your head. Well, here I'm feeling this. Is this really what I should be doing? Yeah. So talking it through with God, having that constant prayer in your mind and in your heart mm-hmm. of of what you should do, especially when you get these thoughts. So let me ask you, has there been a favorite Bible verse that has become meaningful to you through all these years of ups and downs oh, and all over the place? Definitely. Well, definitely in, in Psalms, um, uh, the book of Psalms in the Old Testament, uh, chapter 46, I believe it's verse 10, mm-hmm. uh, where he talks about, be still and know that I am God. Um, and there's uh, there's also some other things that are said in there that that basically uh, uh, God is a refuge, He is the strength, and so. Uh, but that's just the little one-liner that I kept repeating to myself: "Be still, and know that I am God; that He's in charge; that He sees things that I don't see." And there's also some other uh, scriptural references that, uh, well, many that I've uh, read about, especially about our Savior uh, Jesus Christ, who, you know, coming to that realization that He's been through everything. Mm-hmm. I, you know. What is it like to be betrayed? What is it like to be in a position where you've done nothing but good, but you've ticked a couple of people off because they didn't want to hear the truth, and they come after you, 
and throw all these tough accusations. And I just think of all the things that he has gone through that he's experienced. Mm -hmm. He's already been there. He's already done that. He already knows. There was one time I, when I was down, I was reading Job, and I was looking through everything. And though I've been blessed to not have my family taken away from me and, and all of that, in some senses, my crops were taken away. My, <laughs> my cattle were taken away. And I, mm -hmm. I was reading through all of his challenges. I'm going, well, I've had, had all of that. Had the, you know, the, I've had the health challenges. I've had that. Oh, I haven't had boils. Bring on the boils. Let's get this <laughs> over with. <laughs> Let's get this over with. So we can, Job's trial did end, right? <laughs> So. Maybe that we can call it a boil in your brain. Maybe you can check that box. Okay. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> you can oh, check that good. box I'll now, check Brad. It. <laughs> Thank you, Tamara. All right, God, Tamara gave me permission. I'm doing it. Hey, that actually feels good. All right, we're done. <laughs> so. Oh, wow. That is awesome. Yeah. So are there any websites or books or music resources you could recommend to somebody who is going through an extremely hard time right now, things that have helped you in the mm -hmm. past? Obviously, the Bible sounds yeah, like it's yeah, been well, a good and, resource. And, well, here, there's been a lot of books. I, I was thinking about some specific ones. I know one that had a big impact on me was uh, Dr. Wayne, one of Dr. Wayne Dyer's books, uh, You'll See It When You Believe It. Ooh. Yeah, it, and it's a lot of times, well, what is... What does our earthly experience tell us? I'll believe it when I see it. That's no. not how God works. No. Uh, you have to believe it first. And again, if you pray about it, if you feel like this is supposed to be, it'll happen. Uh, it's so I go back to Thomas Edison and the light bulb. Uh, that was just an idea. That was just a feeling he had. It had never been created before. How do you create something from nothing? Mm -hmm. You just got to trust it and test and test and test until you finally come to the realization that it can. And the, and the closer you get to it, that's when your uh, uh, self-confidence starts to build too. You start to see that, oh, there is an end. There is a possibility there. But if you never start that journey, you're never going to feel that. Uh, but that was definitely one of the books. The other thing, um, this is what came to me, Tamara. I I, I think the advice I would like to give everybody out there, of course, pray about what you should read because there's so many different opinions out yes. there. And and some of it, uh, it's so easy to just read something and go, well, that sounds good. Let me go try that. Well, it could be devastating and actually take you backwards. Hmm. And I'll, I'll just share what one of my professors shared with me one time because when I was going through and and practicing doing sessions with people, mm -hmm. he happened to overhear what I was saying and he says, Brad, uh, can I give you some uh, constructive criticism? I said, yes, please. I'd, I'd like to know because I'd like to correct whatever I have here. He said, you actually contradicted what you said to that person. You told them to do one thing at the beginning, and then at the end of your session, you, all, you told them to do something different. And I went, okay, I wonder how that happened. He goes, I can tell you exactly how it happens. You probably read everything you get your hands on, right? Mm. I says, yes. And he goes, you probably think, all right, let me just throw this information out there, right? And I says, yes, that's basically mm -hmm. what I did. And he goes, no, you need to establish your own belief system first. Who are you? Hmm. What does the real you want? What is? What do you believe in? Where are your lines that you will not cross? Where are your ones that are still a little gray where you're learning? Take some time, even if it takes hours, to define all of that. Then find things to support your belief system. 
and expand on that to find the validation for the belief system. And so that's that's where I kind of steer people. It's not mm-hmm. it's not just a we're just in this society where bigger, better, faster, quicker. You know, um, mm-hmm. uh, this is the other thing too. I spent the first eight years of my thirty year career looking for that quick fix. I was studying every clinical model under the sun. I was looking for even overseas in different cultures. Is there's got to be a way that I can have a a session with somebody two at the most and their whole life change. <laughs> and all I learned, Tamara, in eight years of of doing that was we don't learn that way. No, we don't. Do we? <laughs> Human beings are line upon line, precept upon precept. That's God's way. Take the time, be patient, learn it, and and make it part of your life. Wow. That is that is amazing, and, and you know it's true. We do learn just little bits at a time, and there were there have been points in my life when I've wished that we could just fast forward a little mm-hmm. bit, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> I want we, it all, and I want it now. <laughs> can we fast forward just a smidge and yep. skip to the end where everything's happy and hunky dory and all that stuff, but. Mm-hmm. Um, God doesn't work that way, no. and 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 we don't learn that way either. It seems to be that we have to work through the process. We have to, kind of like you were talking about earlier, what can I learn from this? Mm-hmm. You have to learn the lesson. You have to learn lesson. Absolutely. And uh, that doesn't come overnight. It doesn't come with two sessions of counseling. It usually mm-hmm. takes months and years. Yep. So let's wrap this up. If people have really resonated with this or feel like they do want to contact you, how do they get a hold of you? Oh, you bet. I have my, my own uh, coaching website, which is uh, my name, bradjnewfeld.com. Uh, so www.bradjnewfeld.com. Uh, our company, I have a facility that uh, we have a day treatment program down in the Utah County area. Uh, so it's mostly local kids that we work with. Uh, day treatment is where they come to us during the day, so we don't pull them out of the home or anything. They, mm-hmm. We still send them home at night, but Monday through Friday they're with us. Uh, that's Affinity Guidance Services. We have a shortcut to that. It's agstoday.com, agstoday.com. You can email me at info at bradjnewfeld.com, uh, or you can call me at area code 435-830-6945. Very good. And we'll put all this in the show notes so that people, if they're driving or doing laundry or something like that, they can go one place and mm-hmm. and find that so well and just as a uh, uh, an outreach service I because again I like to share these ideas and, and things that I've learned over the years uh, I have a radio show that I do it's called the Brad Newfeld show uh, I it was something I did for a number of years a long time ago but after all of the uh, brain surgeries and stuff like that mm-hmm. it's been it's been a slow recovery my uh, like right now, there's times where I get these brain farts. Sorry, <laughs> you know, but but it's a lot better now than what it used to be. I used to get really bad headaches after focusing for like three or four minutes, and mm-hmm. and I would just have to not focus on anything and just go, uh, just uh, take things in, whatever. Uh, but it's uh, it's a lot better now, so I wasn't able to do it. But now, uh, recently, since things have really improved i'm wanting to get that going again but that's on facebook if you just go on facebook and go the brad newfeld show you'll you'll find out about that awesome we'll put that in the show notes as well thank Thank you you. brad i really appreciate thank you tamara everything the the advice the wisdom the stories i love stories obviously that's why i do this (laughs) but i love i love all of it because it gives us the perspective that truly we're not alone when we're experiencing hard times so thank you for sharing you're not alone people need people that's my mantra (laughs) 
perfect. Yeah. So thank you for sharing your story. You're welcome. Pope. Thank I you really so much. It. This has been fun. Hey, thanks so much for listening to today's show. I know that there are many of you out there that are going through a hard time, and I hope you found things that have been useful today as you listen to the podcast. If you would like to access the show notes from today's podcast, visit my website. It is storiesofhopepodcast.com. That is where you'll find favorite quotes from today's episode and shareable memes. And those are fun because you can share them with your friends on social media. You will also find the links mentioned throughout today's episode, so you don't have to remember what those were. And also all the tips that were shared. Sometimes tips are shared so much throughout an episode, you forget what were those great things. So go to the show notes, storiesofhopepodcast.com to look up these fantastic resources. You know, if someone kept coming to mind during today's episode, perhaps that means that you should share this with them. Maybe there was a story shared or a tip that they really, really need to hear. So go ahead and share this episode with them. May God bless you, especially if you are struggling with hope to carry on and with the strength to keep going when things get tough. Remember to walk with Christ and he will help bear that burden. Above all else, Remember, God loves you.